0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Main Street Vegan Show. I am your host, Victoria Moran, and I'm so thrilled to be here. You know, for being a writer, I am much too much of an extrovert. I get so happy when we have a whole bunch of people on the show. Some of you have heard when we actually have people here in person around my dining room table in New York. I just feel like somebody ought to be passing around. Cocktails or fresh juice. And today it's a little bit like that. There's nobody here with me around my dining room table, but we have some amazing people coming in via phone and Skype. And I know if you have looked at Facebook or you've looked at Twitter, you know that uh, coming up after the first break, we are going to be introducing Quite a chunk of the Esselstyn family, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn, Jr., M.D., his lovely wife, his daughter Jane, because they have a fabulous cookbook coming. That's a little bit down the road. I also just want to let you know another little party that's happening online right now, and that is this week's blog at MainStreetVegan.net. The blog this week is by Carmela Lanai. Carmela is a fascinating young woman who is half of the food duo on Twitter. She and her husband do lots of food posting and food chatting. And this week, she wrote the blog for Main Street Vegan... About shopping vegan online. She's a real techie, but she makes it very easy for the rest of us. So you can kind of go shopping with Carmela at MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. And right this minute for more of an in-person or at least via voice party, we have a special and fascinating guest I want to bring to you in the appetizer segment Kiki Adami. Kiki is the co-owner of Gust Organics. It is a fabulous restaurant in New York City. It is a certified organic restaurant and bar. Great following among healthy eaters around New York City, vegetarians and vegans. But it also has quite a following among the paleo people and other people who expect to have meat on their plate. And Kiki is looking at a way to bring them more over to the vegetative persuasion. Welcome, Kiki Adami. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to have you. My husband and I were just at Gust Organics uh, Monday night. He had this fabulous seitan steak With baked potato. And as I looked at the tables around us, everybody was having seitan steak with baked potato. I think it's the Don Draper thing. We all need to eat a little bit like in the 60s.
3: (laughs) You know, we launched this menu, the Meatless Monday. That's really how we launched this entire uh, more vegetative persuasion in the beginning uh, about three Mondays ago. And as we're looking at what's selling, That is the dish that's selling the most, which makes me think that perhaps we are still attracting the flexivores or or the omnivores. So really, that's the goal of this is to bring in omnivores and at the same time, go green, become more sustainable. And at the same time, give people delicious food that's sustainable and plant-based and healthy. So I'm really happy that you came on Monday. It was really, really such a surprise to see you and really excited.
2: Well, I'm going to come every Monday that I'm in town to support this Meatless Mondays effort. So give us an idea of what the restaurant has been up until now and what your vision is and what people can do to help that happen.
3: So basically, Gusto Organics started seven years ago. And the founder, his name is Alberto Gonzalez, and he's an Argentinian, uh, really big into the non-GMO thing. And uh, he had this vision of when he first came to New York that there's no place to really find uh, delicious, organic, traditional farming food. So he started this. Um, a series of investors got involved. And then throughout the past six years, it's, it's been a bit of a battle because um, different management has, has kind of set some fires. And so Paul and I took over about two years ago. Paul became the general manager. I signed on for marketing um, about uh, six months ago, really, really dedicated marketing about six months ago. Um, and I saw that I'm a vegan, Paul's a vegan, that something was not right about the restaurant. And from my perspective, I would not be going to Boost Organics if I were not, you know, having to do with the management of it. Um, because it's, it was in the beginning such a meat heavy menu. There really wasn't something for a vegetarian or a vegan to go there and be like, wow, you know, I can totally enjoy all this menu. And for vegans that that are really, really aware of how diets affect the planet, being green definitely has something to do with the vegan diet. Um, So when we signed on, we definitely said something is not really consistent with our message here. Our mission is not really being fulfilled all the way. How can we become more green? How can we become more conscious? And in an unbiased way, I said the way to do it is to go vegan. Um, It lowers our carbon footprint. It opens up our doors to an entire demographic of people that I don't think otherwise would come through our doors. Um, So it's all good from my perspective. So where would I like to be? We launched the Meatless Monday menu three weeks ago, as I said, and that was kind of to put us on the map. Say, look here, vegans, vegetarians, we are here. Please consider us as an option when going out to eat. However, this is just... The, the starting step, we ideally want to be 100% plant-based you know, within the next six months. I am an idealist. I would like it to be January, January 1st, 2015, 100% vegan. That being said, Paul's the business guy, and 60% of our profit is, comes from meat dishes. So this is a huge risk on our part, because at the end of the day, the thing that keeps our doors open, despite our mission, is the bottom line. So that's that's where we are right now. We know that we have an ultimate goal, goal of being plant-based, um, but we have the logistics of making sure that our doors stay open at battle with us. Um, this,
2: this is so fascinating to me because we talk to people who are opening vegetarian, vegan restaurants, but the idea of an established restaurant with an established clientele, what happens when some of your um, omnivorous customers come in on a Monday and find out that everything is plant based? Well, some of them, it depends on
3: the server, right? Because, you know, people go in the direction of the horse. I have two particular servers, Jeffrey and Ashley, that they can sway a carnivore that doesn't even touch plants to stay neat. Um, but sometimes, like on the first day, we had 10 tables walk out. And that was really disheartening, but we're aiming for the bigger picture here. So, It has happened. Uh, People definitely walked out when they found out that we were doing this, but we're hopelessly dedicated. We're going to make it happen.
2: Oh, And and I believe that you will. You have right on your side. When I was tweeting about this, somebody contacted me and said, tell them not to call it Meatless Monday, because that sounds like something is left out. Tell them to call it Vegans Are Sexy Monday. Oh, (laughs) I love that. I'll pass that along.
3: <laughs> you know
2: what? We
3: did the Meatless Monday thing because Meatless Monday is global. Of and course. If we had that if we had that marketing on our side, then it would only make it bigger. It was basically just to get us on the map. From here, we're going much larger. Um we're starting a crowdfunding basically a Kickstarter, but it's on Feast, which is a startup crowdfunding site, and basically we're trying to raise $30,000 right now to hire an executive chef that has vegan specialty because I'm the executive chef of the menu right now and only on the vegan dishes, of course, um, all the meat dishes are from the original menu of six, seven years ago. All the vegan options are are my doing. But trust me when I say I'm much better at eating than I am at creating
2: Well, you did a a beautiful job on Monday night. I see that our appetizer segment is just about to end. So before we move on to the entree, tell us what we can do. Where can New Yorkers go? Where can other people like and follow and do what they can to support you?
3: Absolutely. By hands down, all the social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, my blog. I'm always going to be pumping new content out, giving uh, new specials, new deals, updates on how we are are along uh, in terms of crowdfunding. Um, but most importantly, like I said, support us in Monday nights. Right now, I need to fill up eight Monday nights consistency, consistently in order to go 100% vegan. And I have to convince investors uh, that this will be profitable. The second thing would be go to fundfeast.com and support us support, so that we can afford uh, to basically hire a fantastic, excellent vegan chef. Well, I'm going to hold the name back for now. But if you find us on social media, you'll see who that special vegan chef is. And
2: and what is that? Um, is it fund a feast? Is that what you said? Yes, fund is in
3: F-U-N-D-S a feast.
2: Fund a feast. Fund a feast. It's all late. right. We're fund- going. We're going. Thank you so much, Kiki Adami, Goose Organics, going vegan. And after these messages, we're going to go Esselstyn's. Pretty cool. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody. I'll talk really fast because I know you want to hear from Dr. Esselstyn. I could introduce him for 20 minutes, but I'm going to give you just the the. Keynote introduction, Caldwell B. Esselstyn, Jr., M.D., was a surgeon, clinician, and researcher at the Cleveland Clinic for more than 35 years. He's an Olympic gold medalist in rowing and the author of the best-selling Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, the Revolutionary Scientifically Proven Nutrition-Based Cure. He became a film star in Forks Over Knives, and for a long, long time, he has been a family star. We're going to be meeting his lovely wife, Anne Krile Esselstyn, their daughter, Jane. They have a new cookbook coming out. We'll get to that in the next segment. Um, Rip Esselstyn is also a son in this family. You know him from the Engine 2 diet and my beef with meat. But now we are talking to the gentleman who started it all. Welcome, Dr. Esselstyn.
4: Thank you, Victoria.
2: Well, it's wonderful to have you. So for anybody who might be new to your work, can you just give us the thumbnail description of what you did and why you now know that heart disease can be, in your words, a toothless paper tiger?
4: Thank you. Yes, about 30 years ago, it was apparent that there were a number of cultures on this planet where the leading killer of women and men in Western civilization, coronary artery heart disease, was literally uh, virtually non-existent. And it was because those cultures were plant-based. So the study that we began 30 years ago, and, and we have reported on several occasions, is we took patients who were severely ill with cardiovascular disease, who had failed their bypass and they failed their angioplasty, and uh, <clears throat> really there was not much more that could be done for them. And by getting them to change uh, from the typical Western diet uh, to uh, plant-based nutrition, <clears throat> they were able to halt and often strikingly reverse their disease. And that is that so study has continued uh, since that time, and we just recently reported actually the 1st of July. <clears> At <throat> this time, 200 patients, uh, 90% of whom were adherent, to our plant-based nutrition and got the desired result.
2: That's pretty exciting. And then you said there was another paper as well with three interesting cases.
4: Well, the the, the point in the, the three case reports was these were rather exciting for us because one was carotid disease, which is the artery that goes to the brain. The other was coronary arteries to the heart, and the other was peripheral vascular disease with the arteries that go to the leg. And uh, all these uh, gentlemen had had all the usual uh, drugs, and actually they'd also had procedures. All the drugs and all the procedures had failed, and they were told there was nothing further to be done. And they, through the Internet or the books and other ways, they (laughs) found their way to our doorstep and were able to totally halt and reverse uh, their situation and it made for a really, I think, a very exciting paper because as much as we uh, care for and have respect for the compassion, caring, and the fund of knowledge of our cardiovascular colleagues, uh, the unfortunate part of it the drugs and all of the procedures such as stents and bypasses, they, don't, they do not treat the causation of the illness. They treat symptoms. So patients will often have their first stent second stent, third, fourth, or fifth, then maybe a bypass, and then they start having stents to try to keep the bypass open. But we found that many patients are able to forgo their stents or their bypass because the truth be known, coronary artery disease is nothing more than a toothless paper tiger that need never exist. And if it does exist, it need never, ever progress. This is a benign foodborne illness. What are the foods that every time they pass your lips, you injure? The delicate life jacket and guardian of our blood vessel, the innermost lining, which is called the endothelium. And those foods are include any oil, olive oil, corn oil, soybean oil sunflower, oil, sunflower oil, oil in a cracker, oil in bread, oil in a salad dressing, and anything with a mother or a face: meat, fish, chicken, and fowl, and dairy, milk, cream, butter, cheese, ice cream, and then excesses of sugar such as molasses, honey, and and maple syrup and when people are make this change and are now eating whole grains for their cereal bread and pasta when they're eating 101 different types of legumes or beans and all the delightful red yellow and green leafy vegetables
0: <clears throat> uh,
4: and some fruit they really can make a profound transition in this disease because the delicate lining of the artery begins to recover and it is makes it very exciting because patients are empowered themselves to become the locus of control for halting this common killing disease.
2: Well, it's very exciting, but I want to take a devil's advocate role. You grew up as an athlete. You're a very educated man. My hunch is that you probably lived a a very disciplined life long before you discovered plant-based eating. Most Americans seem to be on this Free fall course with fast food and cheap food. How do you communicate with someone who maybe is not looking at bypass surgery to get them to make what a lot of people would say is a revolutionary change in their lives?
4: Well, I think, <clears throat> I think that's an excellent uh, question uh, because r- right now the Western diet uh, has just deteriorated to the point where so many dollars are going into the health industry that it is stripping this country of its ability to have funding for so many other projects, whether it's education, the grid system, the rail system, repairing our bridges. Everything is going unnecessarily into health care. And right now, it's the entitlements that are the big culprit. And of the entitlements, it's Medicare, that is the biggest culprit, and 45% of Medicare is uh, cardiology. So how do you transition somebody who has all their life been eating this horrible diet which has made them so ill? Well, what we've found is that <clears throat> makes it so that we get about 90% compliance is that I think you've got to show the patient respect. And the only way that I know how to show a patient respect is to give them our time. And I conduct an intensive counseling seminar for patients, many of whom who come from out of state, at the Cleveland Clinic Wellness Institute. And that is a single-day, five-and-a-half-hour seminar. Uh, And every one of these patients, before they come to the seminar, my secretary will give me their phone number so that I can have an opportunity to call them before they come so that I can get my arms around their story and at the same time uh, provide them an opportunity to ask questions of me so that when they do come to our five-and-a-half-hour seminar, they have a strong platform from which we can all move forward. And in addition to learning at the seminar how they cause their disease and what they can do to be empowered to halt and reverse it, they get a very hefty notebook that consists of all of our PowerPoint slides, several of our scientific articles, a 44-page handout with many additional recipes that add to the 160, which are in our book, which we include, and then Ann has an hour and a quarter. Here she is with 30 years' experience acquiring and preparing plant-based dishes, dealing with reading ingredients, dealing with restaurants and travel. And then everybody receives a DVD of the entire experience. So that should they get home and get a little rusty or forgetful, they can put this on and get themselves back up to speed. And then we always have one or two local or regional participants who've had a successful experience share their story with a group so that those in attendance can say to themselves, listen, he or she can do this, I can do this. Then we answer questions and have a delightful plant-based luncheon and then stay in touch as necessary either through email or phone call. And I think that uh, that has to be the most intensive interchange they've ever had with the caregiver. And I think it's so, so important that medicine really come back on track here because ever since the days of Hippocrates, we've always had our best results. When we have had this covenant of trust with patients where we share with them, what is the causation of their illness? And sadly today in cardiovascular disease, that's not being done.
2: I could listen to you forever and I can certainly understand why you were the first recipient of the Benjamin Stock Award for Spock Award for Compassion in Medicine, because it's just um oh it's it's all that you're talking about. And I know that you're influencing so many other young physicians, young cardiologists. We have Dr. Robert Ostfeld here in, in New York City who teaches for my program, Main Street Vegan Academy, and he just um you're you're it <laughs> for him. So it's but wonderful right. that it's right. it's spreading around. So What's the opinion of your work of the average cardiologist? Why aren't they just scrambling by the hundreds to be doing this as well?
4: Well, I think uh, I think that will come with time. Medicine is very, very cautious and very conservative, and it's uh, it's challenging. But I will share with you this: we've had several uh, cardiologists, when they've had heart disease themselves, uh, come to our doorstep. We have had any number of cardiologists who have actually come out an apprentice with our uh, strategies. And you can just see these little uh, pockets of interest that are developing throughout the country. And it, to us, it's very exciting because we now have absolute solid, rock-solid science. And uh, it's, as I said before, I think the thing that is so important for physicians to try to embrace with this disease is an understanding that if patients are willing to make this change, they can halt their disease. And really, uh, the, the challenge, therefore, is I think Well, many uh, the persons who criticize us will say that, they, uh, that patients won't do this. Well, it's not that the message is wrong. Well, I will grant you that what we're asking people to do is a very, very significant change. But it's not that the message is wrong. It is how the message is articulated. And if at the end of a 20-minute visit, you you decide to devote five minutes to plant-based nutrition, it's not going to be surprising that people are not going to do this. However, if you take five and a half hours uh, and have the patient there with their spouse or their significant other, which is absolutely a must, and you completely educate them as to what caused their disease in the first place and what they can do, to halt and reverse this disease, because this is not, this is not a malignancy. This is a benign foodborne illness. You stop the evil food, <laughs> and, you, and your body begins to recover. It's pretty exciting, and it's ridiculously simplistic.
2: No, it's extremely exciting. So how does it work economically within the healthcare system? I was just reading a book last night, a little self-published book by a very young guy, and he said that he was on the website of one of these reverse mortgage companies where they try to get older people to sign their homes over because they need money. And he said that one of the things that this website kept reiterating was, you can use this money from your house to pay your medical bills. Like, that is going to be an inevitable outcome of aging. So we've got this whole economic thing tied up in people's being sick.
4: Well, you're you're absolutely right, and, and we don't have time for it today, but I, when I make a presentation, I always do like to talk about <clears throat> the reason that I'm so passionate about where we are in medicine today, even though it was uh, about 12 or 14 years ago that I retired from surgery is that we are literally at the cusp of what could be a seismic revolution in health in this country. And the seismic revolution in health in this country is never going to come about with the invention of another pill or another procedure or another operation. The seismic revolution in health that is going to come about in this country will do so when we in the healing profession have the will and the grit and the determination to share with the public what is the lifestyle and the degree of nutritional literacy that will empower them to avoid all these common chronic killing diseases. I mean, it's ridiculous with the knowledge that we have today. It's ridiculous for somebody to have to have heart disease, to have to have strokes, to have to have hypertension, to have to have diabetes, to have to have obesity, and many other diseases I don't have time to go into right now. But that's the... That's the direction we really have to go and it's it's totally doable. But the idea of trying to convert people in their middle years of life, in their forties, fifties and sixties and beyond, with these life, this lifetime of habits is really kind of crazy when we should really be doing this at the school level so that these children are not going to be tomorrow's patients. These children can grow up respecting plant based nutrition and and really preventing themselves from plummeting into these unnecessary illnesses. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, amen to that. And um, if I had a child today, I would want him or her going to that school. So I have one other question that I think perplexes a lot of people. When people are getting most of their health information from television and, and from the popular press, we're getting two messages. One is plant-based or predominantly plant-based The other is that sugar is the only problem. And there's been some scuttlebutt around that one of the physicians who believes this has gotten to President Clinton and maybe he's not plant-based anymore. I don't know if you want to address that or not. But you talked about oil and animal products and an excess of sugar. But what so many of us are hearing is it's all sugar, forget everything else. How can you explain this to people so that we all get it?
4: Well, uh, first of all, it's not. Uh, it's it's when you say it's only sugar, that falls into the, what we the trap of what we call reductionism, and it's my good friend uh, Professor T. Colin Campbell from Cornell who wrote the the best-selling book, uh, The China Study. Uh, T. Colin uh, clearly hits the nail on the head when he talks about the body is an absolute symphony, and this is the way you, you you treat it with plant-based nutrition. Sugar is something that we obviously we all like sweetness, but you've got to really treat that carefully. Even in our book, when the maple syrup is used, it's used very uh, lightly and very sparingly. Uh, <clears throat> the key, I think, here is to really have people understand that the... I, I just want to say one word about vegans. I do treat vegans for heart disease. Vegans will eat oil. Vegans will eat French fries. Vegans will eat glazed donuts, and then they uh, wonder why they're coming down with with illness. So we have to, uh, I think, stick to the concept of whole food, plant based nutrition, uh, which is uh, which is very exciting. As a matter of fact, I just was reminded that I think somewhere in in New York and Queens. They have a, a, a public school that is plant-based.
2: Yeah, that's very exciting. The um, New York Coalition for Healthy School Food, <laughs> I think, had something to do with that. And interestingly enough, my understanding is that it's a school in a primarily Asian area, and they let the children themselves decide if they wanted to do this.
4: Wonderful. Right.
2: Yeah, it's uh, I, perhaps it's a little bit less of, of a shift if, if someone has been eating more of a traditionally Asian diet where animal foods are used more for seasoning, where fancy desserts aren't part of the culture to make a shift well, a little the bit medical, further. Uh,
4: the medical schools here uh, cannot <clears throat> come off uh, without a certain amount of blame. I mean, for instance, uh, there are very, very few schools with the exception maybe of Loma Linda, where anybody gets a significant education in, uh, in nutrition. And it's, it is so, so terribly sad, because when medical schools are... Presently, what happens in medical school is you learn all about the various diseases, and then you learn what drug and what procedure or operation to use for the disease. But there's no emphasis on the fact that the disease never has to exist. And even if it does exist, if the significant lifestyle lifestyle change is is undertaken, that you can vanquish this disease. I mean, it's just so sad that medical schools aren't focused on that yet, and they and they will be because the the science is going to emerge. We're going to do this with science and with outcomes so that everybody will feel comfortable that that this is genuine. But <laughs> there's going to be an awful lot of money saved when it no longer has to go to our profession.
2: What a great day. Thank you so much for all you are doing, have done, will do. The book is Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. The website is heartattackproof.com. And even though we are saying goodbye to Dr. Esselstyn, we have more Esselstyns on the way. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Thank you, Victoria. All the best. Stay with us because we're going to be cooking after this.
0: Now and then, life is challenging. I may not welcome challenge itself, but I welcome the opportunity to learn from whatever arises, to grow in understanding, to flex my spiritual muscles. Every day is a new day, a fresh start. No situation or circumstance can hold me back. My life is not only about what's happening to me, it's also what's happening through me. The Christ within is my source of unlimited wisdom and creativity. I do my best when I respond to any challenge from my Christ nature rather than reacting impulsively from my human nature. Every day I pursue what enriches me, enjoying the journey to my goals as much as the destination. This
1: inspirational message is brought to you by Daily Word. Daily Word. Inspiration and practical teachings to help people of all faiths Live healthy, prosperous, and meaningful lives. Give Daily Word to yourself or a friend and give the gift of hope, joy, peace, and encouragement. Order your subscriptions today online at dailyword.com. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey,
2: welcome back, everybody. What a fabulous show. Doesn't it just make you want to go out and eat healthy right this minute and have your parents and your co-workers and all the people you love do the same thing? That's how I'm feeling right now. And I am so happy that We don't have to stop with all this good information. We can just continue with other members of the family. So it is my pleasure right now to be introducing Anne Krile Esselstyn. She's the author of the recipe section of the best-selling book, Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease, and the co-author of the brand new book. It's on pre-order right now from Amazon, and it is called The Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook with her daughter, Jane Esselstyn. Anne is a graduate of Smith College. She has a master's degree in education. When not in the kitchen, she counsels, paints, lectures around the world on how to eat and prepare plant-based foods and spends time with her 10 Plant-Based Grandchildren. Don't you love it when it goes from generation to generation? Jane Esselstyn, RN, is also here with us. She is an avid and inventive designer of plant-based recipes, the co-author of the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook, with her next-door neighbor and mom, Anne. Oh, I love that. She wrote the recipe section for her brother Rip Esselstyn's most recent book, My Beef with Meat. Now you can find this brand new book if you just go to bn.com or Amazon and, and look around for the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook. Or you could go to dresselston.com or I made a tiny URL that will take you right to that page on Amazon. And that is tinyurl.com slash HRT Cook. That's like heart cookbook, but you take out the vowels from the word heart, HRT Cook, and that will tiny U-R-L-U straight to the page on Amazon. Welcome, ladies. Thank,
5: thank you. you very much.
2: Well, thank you for spending this time with uh, the Main Street Vegan Show. So how do you come up with recipes that fit all the plant-based whole food criteria and still have some pizzazz? And, do you want to
6: start well you know uh, for my husband's for for my husband's book, which he wrote the prevent and re- heart Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease directly, really, for heart disease patients, we have certain things that we stick to like obviously no meat, no dairy, no oil, but then we use no nuts, uh, a few seeds sprinkled. Um, we use very little, although occasionally, especially in some dessert, tofu, and uh, and no avocado. And, uh, and in this book, we have used almost no salt and very little sugar. We used maple syrup when we need something sweet. And for a couple of reasons, it's so expensive that you will be uh, cautious. And secondly, it, it has, you. perhaps the least amount of fructose, which is the thing you want to avoid in sugar. So those were our parameters in writing this book. Jane, do you want to
5: add? That was right on.
6: <laughs> yeah.
2: So what about when people are coming over? So which, what recipes in this new cookbook would you serve at a party and have your guests not say, uh, we went over there and had health food?
5: Oh, we've got all kinds of amazing stuff. Um, We actually uh, live on this nice little street called Pepper Ridge Road, and we have a a holiday party every uh, December 23rd. And when we first started having the party, we sort of stuck with the tradition of having what they, you know, for the previous 30 or 40 years they had. But we slowly have been sort of uh, invading with our plant-based food. And I'm telling you, the first finger sandwiches to go, are our sandwiches. They are amazing, and um, no one even says, oh, are these vegan? They just go, oh, we love these sandwiches. And they're portobello mushrooms and roasted red peppers and spinach and hummus and scallions. They're just so flavorful. They Last
6: year, Jane made kale bruschetta, and oh. we couldn't believe the books. platter vanished. It was incredible. It was so good.
4: That and sounds the kill- really really uh, 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 good.
6: That's a great. beautiful uh, the food recipe is fabulous. And I, but, you know, the the gas- bruschetta gas- was so
5: mine. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I want to say the kielbasa that she's boasting about was so good in my beef with meat that we changed the walnut sauce to a cannellini bean sauce for mm. this Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease cookbook so that it would be um, really safe for heart attack, heart heart disease patients as well. So that's what I wanted to say about the kale bruschetta. But continue, Mom. Well,
6: you know, one of the really uh, the things about eating plant based is it's easy. And if someone is just starting, there's one place to start, and that is with brown rice and black beans and say salsa. And so that that is often just our basic. Guest every night, kind of recipe, but we enhance it in all kinds of ways. And in this book, we have got it's really Jane is responsible for it, our most fabulous. Jane, tell them about Matt Sofrito black beans.
5: Oh, Jane. Um, it's funny. We thought we knew our way around black beans. I mean, we've been eating black beans and rice for uh, decades. And this recipe, which my friend Matt showed me, blew me away, and it's made with whole, like dried black beans. And we don't use a lot of dried beans, period. We just—it's you know—they aren't as convenient. But once you get going on dried beans, I mean, I'm sure you know, it's—it's it's the way to go. So these beans—beans have just absolutely rewritten black beans in our book. So we have, and then we have at, uh,
6: Christmas Eve, <laughs> which is. Incredible, so the two together are just i I crave this wonderful dish, and it's, it couldn't it's just so
0: good.
2: It's well, it sounds tough, great, and tough. it sounds very simple. You know, I, I do this program four or five times a year, Main Street Vegan Academy. People come from all over, and we do it in my home, so we keep it down to 15. But, you know, cooking for 15 people twice a day for the better part of a week, it kind of tests sure. your metal. But just as you described this, with the brown rice, with the nice kind of beige, and then you've got black beans, so you get the contract, and the contrast, and you put that red salsa on there, I mean, that's just happy making. No, it's a mango. It's a mango. Oh, it's a mango.
5: mango. So it's a black bean and some mango lime salsa with a little bit of uh, red onion. It is so good. With lime. Mm -hmm.
0: You know,
6: on Christmas Eve, Eve, we have our traditional black beans and rice dinner. uh, When we have tons of family, we will have we will have about 10 dishes of things that you can put on top of the black beans. We have, uh, you know, frozen corn that you've got, chopped tomatoes, chopped peppers, uh, water chestnuts, maybe shredded carrots, chopped arugula or green onions. And it just, it's beautiful. And you get, you know, you start and then you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I've got so much on my plate. This is embarrassing. And it's so easy to eat it all.
2: Mm-hmm. And you can but during the
6: holidays.
5: We also add the we also, during the holidays. We also add the um, it's the uh, this amazing cranberry salsa, um, which you know it's very very holidays, but it is delicious and tart and um, love that as well. I actually have a couple of things I wanted to add to the list of things that we would serve that would not be sort of called out as being vegan. And I started with the with um the kale bruschetta. but I wanted to say a couple more things. Um, cooked kale, believe it or not, kale has gotten so trendy and some people try to steam it or try they try to do all different things with it. We love it just cooked. Literally just cooked with flavored balsamic we yeah, literally boils in water. So you can eat it. You can chew it like you would eat cooked spinach but we like it with flavored balsamic vinegars, which people love to discover. And they, it helps really replace all the, the oily uh, dressings and things. So cooked so kale would definitely be on the plate.
2: Question. Do you cook but, the kale with yeah. the flavored balsamic vinegar, or do you have that on no. the side as a kind oh, of condiment? No no,
5: no, no, no. No, we so No, add we that. Serve, when it's served, you sprinkle it on top or, you know, dollop it on top.
2: Okay. And um, if it's wonderful,
5: you know, you it
6: wonderful that. kale... You know, you can eat it just plain or any of any of the greens you can mix them all together, but um, they are they are definitely something that is very uh if we mix into things we we have it on the side, we have it as the nest on which you put i mean on the bottom of which which you put everything else, lots of green.
2: Yeah, and the world is changing. changing. I was at the Minneapolis airport, and at a restaurant there, they had an all-vegan chili on top of a bed of steamed kale. You just wouldn't have seen that Ah, five years ago.
6: That's that's Ah. wonderful. Ah. That's great. That's great. So Um,
2: what was it like for the two of you?
6: cool thing to do. Okay. We have some really good (laughs) pizza recipes. Ah. One, of them, one of them is um, where if you mix the kale or any of your greens, cook them, chop them up, and then mix them in your pasta sauce and use that as the topping on your pizza, and then you can put anything else on there. And that is a really cool way to get lots of greens. The pasta, you know, the sauce dominates, and it's, it's fun.
5: Oh, that sounds wonderful. One of our wonderful. favorite recipes is uh, given to us by our friend, Char. It's called salad pizza, and it's just that. Uh, yeah. It's just a pizza, pizza dough with grape sauce on it, maybe kale, kale-soaked sauce. Um, literally, the salad is thrown on top of the pizza, so it's just awesome, fresh, and delicious. I'm
2: gonna oh, that sounds great. Thank you, Char. That 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 that's Char in Philadelphia, rest. right? <laughs> Yeah, sure in Philadelphia.: Salad pizza, you know, th- they are very culinary there in Philadelphia. They have such great restaurants, oh, and um, come up with good food.
6: culinary
2: queen. <laughs> we have right. plenty of those. So I'm curious, what's it like to write a cookbook with your mom, Jane?:
5: Ah, oh, are you kidding me? It is so fun. I feel so lucky. I mean, seriously, I feel so fortunate to do this or to have done this. I mean, it's done now, it was just stunning to even think. But it's been so fun. And, and it, you know, with life, I've got three kids. She and my dad travel so much with their speaking and educating that when one of us was down or busy or swamped, the other one would just step up and be like, okay, while you're gone the next three days, I'm going to test these nine recipes. Or, you know, when we're home together for a spell, we literally have a set of pine trees between our houses, and we just would walk back and forth, back and forth. All winter long, it was always a clear trail for the snow of us testing recipes. I mean, I kind of compare it sometimes to Willy Wonka. We're testing things going, oh, God, what is that? That is horrible. Or, oh, my gosh, what (laughs) is this? This is stunning. So we would just go back and forth and try things. Some things, you know, made it to the, meh, okay. But then we'd have to doctor them, change them, uh, put them on. I actually had a file called The Graveyard, recipes that didn't really make it. But we might resurrect someday if we figure out a better sauce or topping or a nest or, you know, something. So everything that made it into this cookbook was through trial and error, through friends, through help, through whim. Um, but the more we cook this way, the longer we cook this way and eat this way, the better and better it gets. I had such a blast figuring out figuring out how to make um, ca- uh, cauliflower buffalo wings.
2: Oh my goodness! You ever had buffalo- That's in the had, book.
5: I know I've never had buffalo wings. So I kept having to ask friends, like, "Okay, you've had wings. Tell me, do these taste like wings?" And they would come and they'd try the cauliflower-based uh, buffalo wings <laughs> and things like that. So it, it was. It was so fun. And doing it with my, with my spent mom. And my
6: time working on cauliflower steak, which we all love. Oh, that was fun. Love.
2: Well, I just think you've sold 100 copies in the past minute because, you know, those are a couple of very memorable and important dishes for a lot of people these days. So to be able to do them from cauliflower. On
1: your vegan journey.
5: You know what's going to sell a thing? I didn't say it. The dessert vegan. for all the Telling friends who you're saying are coming to dinner and you don't want them to know it's vegan. vegan but like by the time dessert comes around, they know
1: it's vegan. vegan. Because for
5: dessert,
1: That's www. there's a
5: kale cake with blueberry frosting.
1: Net.
5: No. <laughs> it looks like a Dr. Seuss creation. And the I have to tell,
1: with,
6: I have to tell you, Jane, be, be quiet one minute. Jane's okay. daughter... Just music was gone for two weeks words. canoeing it's in northern Canada for 12-year-old daughter. And when she came back, she said the one thing she wanted more than anything was love, kale joy, cake with blueberry frosting.
2: And one day, it. all the children in America will be requesting kale cake with blueberry frosting. We're talking about the Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook by Ann Kyle Esselstyn and Jane Esselstyn RN. In just our last few minutes, you know, there's really more here than just food and, and fun recipes. We somehow have come up with a country where families don't Eat together, and people are going through drive-throughs. We've kind of lost something. So I'll just ask each of you one at a time, and I'll start with Anne. What do you think about that, and and how are you contributing to making that better?
6: I, Molly? I, I'm going to. I have something I have to tell you. Okay. Your book, uh, Main Street Vegan, has a artichoke on the cover that yes. I think it's a spectacular cover. Thank you. And I'm answering your question roundabout. Okay. And over the years, Jane's oldest daughter has been, you know, plant-based, but very picky, very picky. I mean, she only ate broccoli and whatever. And on their birthdays, they come to our house, and they see other I – mean, I mean, I'm sorry, they often eat at our house. And on their birthdays, they get to choose – what they want, and then we celebrate with their food. And on Kryle's 15th birthday, the first thing she asked for was artichokes. And I realized that, you know, over the years, she's seen us have artichokes as celebratory things, and they always taste. And so I guess I'm answering it is that we just have to accept Expose people and teach people, and um, we will make a difference. But I, you know, it's so exciting to me that Kyle chose artichokes.
2: Thank oh, you. that's beautiful. I have a story like that when my husband's, um, I just had married my husband, and his children from his previous marriage were small. And I didn't know what to feed them because I knew they had been eating a very conventional American diet. And the first time we had artichokes, and the two boys got it that they could actually throw those leaves into a kind of big bowl sort of basketball <laughs> net in the middle the of the table. <laughs> that that just sold everybody on artichokes. So, Jane, what's your take on the state of affairs and how food can fix it?
5: Um, well, I mean, my, our kids are all non-drivers right now. They're 12, 14, and 15. And they all do various sports that have them out of the house till 7, sometimes 8 15 at night. So, as many nights as you can eat together, I'd say do that. It's one thing that we all end up remembering most is our time spent together. Um, but, so of course, as anyone would say, eat together as a family. But um, just ask, asking kids what they know they should eat, they all know they should eat more fruits and vegetables. And if we just do that at home, like our kids go away to camp or to a, a long weekend with friends or they go on a long swim meet with other families or something and they're gone all weekend. And they've had, you know, someone's been giving them Gatorade all weekend and they've, you know, had gummy bears and junk food, whatever, between their events. I mean, they, they're, you know, they're supposed to different foods. They come home and they just want brown rice, black beans, broccoli, salad because it's been years and years and years of them at home eating this sort of reset, reboot, you know, grounded way of eating, but they go out and they eat other things and they realize how it makes them feel, and they don't mm. feel that good. So I'd say just keep, ask them, like, how they feel, what do you eat, what do you want to eat when you get home? And oh, have them really you. be a part of it consciously. Yeah. Like, yeah, go out. Go out and taste some poison, and you'll see how you want to come home and eat better. Uh Aha, let us eat
2: better. I am so sorry. Our time is up. The book is The Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease Cookbook. You can go to tinyurl.com slash cook, or you can go to dresselston.com. Thank you. Thank you, all of our guests today. You are changing this planet. And everybody listening, God bless you, and eat your veggies. Music Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Reverends Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are
0: alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Music speaks louder than words when you sing.
2: Life is hard, and sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it.